All right. Um, <clears throat> so our text for tonight is in the book of James. So if you want to flip to James, we're going to be in chapter 1. Um, but we're not going to get to that specific verse for a little bit later on. We're going to also look at Genesis 3. So if you want to somehow mark both of those, or if you're a quick flipper, that's fine. Man, this is this uh, this whole lawn chair thing is, is interesting. Um it's kind of wacky. I've never we didn't do this when I was in high school, so but hey, I'm not I'm not going to come in here and change it if y'all want it. Um awesome. Anyway, so <clears throat> tonight uh really begins a new chapter in our series. Um we've spent the last 4 weeks uh last week I I I was like off by a week. We spent the last 4 weeks looking at what the flesh is. Um, And starting tonight, we're going to look at how the flesh works. If we're going to know our indwelling sin, we can't just know what it is. But we must also know how it works. Uh, I think all of you by now know that um, when I was in college, uh, I was a broadcast journalism major. Um, ever since I was little, I had a dream to be a sportscaster. I'm sure some of you have had um, that dream as well. But uh, senior year, I was actually given a very cool opportunity, um, and that was to be the videographer for the women's basketball team. Now, let me just say one thing. State's basketball team now, their women are incredible. They were not when I was there. Um, but anyway, so it was a really, really cool opportunity. I was asked to go um, to every single game. I was able to shoot every game. I was expected to do pre- and post-game interviews with the coaches, with the players. Um, and then once a month, I would make a highlight reel that would be shown at this uh, booster lunch that would be held um, in the practice uh, facility. And... Um, it was a lot of work. I mean, I spent a lot of late nights at the TV studio just trying to put together these highlight reels. And uh, But I knew that it would look really good on my resume, and they paid for all my books for that uh, semester. And I know that none of you have been to college, but when you get to college, books are expensive. So if somebody's going to offer to pay for your books, take them up on it. Um, and so it was one of the coolest things that I've ever been a part of. Uh, I got to fly everywhere with the team. Um, I ate good free food. We would always fly out the day before the game um, because, you know, we would get there, we would go to a nice restaurant, order whatever we wanted, stay at the hotel. Um, and it was great because I just kind of got to like, go and do whatever because I was just the video guy. You know, as long as I was there at the game with the camera, uh, they didn't really care what I did. But um, got a lot of free stuff, you know, shirts and shoes and a duffel bag. But one of the things I really enjoyed about it was I got to see what a pregame routine looked like. Um, and, and, and it really started whenever we would get on the plane, or if we were going to Oxford or Tuscaloosa, it would be a bus. But when we would get on the plane, they would hand out these, um, these scouting reports for the opposing team. And so for the, those of you who don't know what a scouting report is, it would be a sheet, and it would contain all the players' names, along with their height and, and their position, um, as well as their in-game tendencies, their strengths, and their weaknesses. So it would say something like this. Um, 
The sinner's name is Sarah. She's 6'6". She prefers to use her right hand near the basket. She shoots a low percentage from outside of five feet. And she's a terrible free throw shooter. Shoots like 32%. Like that's how detailed it would be um, on every single starter that they had. And then we would get to the hotel and later that night they would do a film session where they would actually watch and they'd be like, look, here's that center I was talking about. Watch how she can't shoot with her left hand. And then uh, so we would watch and they would see in action what the scouting report said about the players. So instead of just knowing which players were on the opposing team, they knew how each one of them played their game. And knowing these tendencies, these strengths, and these weaknesses helped them in preparing to win. And so basically, what we're going to be doing for the next four to five weeks is writing up a scouting report for our flesh, studying its tendencies, its strengths, its weaknesses, so that we can be prepared When it's game time, when it attacks us, we know how it works. We know its tendencies. And so at the top of that report needs to be one word, deception. The way that our flesh gets us to sin is by deceiving us. Tricking, misleading duping, cheating, whatever word comes to your mind when you think of deception, that's what the flesh does in order to get us to sin. You know, salespeople often have a reputation for being deceptive. Um, When I was working at Enterprise before working here, they used to teach us um, to deceive people in order to sell stuff. Uh, For example, we would include optional products in the price. That way, it was all the same price, right? But the people didn't know what they were getting. Well, that's that's lying, that's deception. Um, We were taught to trick people into buying things that they otherwise would not have bought. I'd be lying if I told you that at the beginning of my tenure, I fell into that a little bit. Um, but as a Christian, my convictions uh, kicked in, and, and from there on out, I was like, I can't, I can't do that. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be unethical. If my numbers suffer, they suffer. Uh, because, you know, that, a lot of times in jobs, you know, you're graded on performance and sales, and so people do some, some shady things. A lot of used car salesmen are the same way. Uh, now, this isn't typical if you buy a car from a reputable dealership. But if you go over to, uh, let's say, Um, Joe's Automobiles, um, there's a good chance that Joe may try to deceive you so that you'll buy a car that's a piece of junk. I started watching uh, this show called Suits. Apparently it's been on for a long time, but it's pretty good. It's about this lawyer, and um, he's known for being the best closer in Manhattan. One of the ways that he closes so often is that he's deceptive. Uh, This one scene, he's in an argument with a client, and it's getting kind of heated, and he wants the client to do something. And the client's like, no, I won't do it. But he, so he, so he he brings out a piece of paper from his jacket, and he's like, 
this document right here, I forgot what he said, but it was like it made the guy go do whatever he wanted. Well, it turns out that it was, it was like nothing, had nothing to do with the case at all, but it was deception. Um, he got the client to do what he wanted based off of a lie. And that's exactly how Satan got Eve to eat the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Look at Genesis 3 real quick. You'll see that when God shows up, he asks Eve. In verse 12, he says, what is this that you have done? What have you done, Eve? She says the next verse, the serpent deceived me and I ate. How? How did the serpent deceive Eve? Look at verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. Guys, our flesh works the same way. It makes us believe that things are other than they are so that we will do something that we would never otherwise do. Let me say that again. It makes us believe that things are other than they actually are so that we will do something that we would never otherwise do. That is the art of deception. Um, in the book, the author says, over and over when God warns us against sin, he, can t- he cautions us to watch out for its treasury or its deceptiveness. In fact, he says, you can write this down. When the flesh deceives you, you will sin. So in other words, he says, once we've been deceived by our flesh, it's too late. So we've got to prevent ourselves from being deceived. And the way that we do that is to look at how the flesh deceives. What does it do? How does it work? In James chapter 1, 14 and 15, if you'll flip there, we're going to find out what the flesh ultimately wants and how it goes about getting it. Here's what it says. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Guys, what the flesh ultimately wants is death for us and for us to be enslaved by it forever. That's what verse 15 says when it means bring forth death. It's talking about a spiritual death. The flesh wants you to live your entire life with a hardened heart, being ruled and consumed by sin, so that ultimately you will die an eternal death and spend eternity apart from God. That's the goal of the flesh. 
And then we see that the way that it tries to accomplish this is by luring the mind, enticing the affections, getting consent from the will, and then watching the sin play out to eventually end with an eternal death. A few weeks ago, I told you that the heart is made up of three things, the mind, the affections, and the will. And each piece plays a pivotal role in our decision-making. Our mind decides whether or not something is good. That's step one. The mind looks at something and it says it's either good or it's bad. Then once the mind determines that something is good, then the affections long for and desire and crave what the mind said was good. And then lastly, the will takes what the mind said was good and the affections desired and gives consent to be carried out. And then that's when the sin itself happens. So see, you, you see that it really starts with the mind and what the mind determines what is good. That's what the flesh does. It goes after the mind. Uh, the book says that the mind is the watchman of our souls. What's a watchman? You know what it is. It's a guy whose job is to look out. He's to, he's to be on the lookout for someone or something. And so if it's being threatened or attacked, he's supposed to let somebody know. Well, if the watchman is convinced that there's no trouble, he won't warn anyone that they're in danger. So the flesh tries to persuade the mind that sin isn't dangerous and is actually good for you. Because if this mind is persuaded to believe that sin is good for your soul, then your affections desire and crave it, and your will gives consent. It's a domino effect, guys. It hides and disguises the truth. That's how the flesh deceives the mind. Listen, it disguises what is undesirable and harmful beneath what it thinks that we want. It disguises what's undesirable and harmful beneath what it thinks that we want, which is something attractive to us. And it also hides from us the painful consequences that we'll more than likely face if we follow through with the sinful action. And therefore, because it looks good and desirable, we don't consider the possible consequences and we do it. You know, one thing that I've never been able to get into is fishing. Probably because I don't have time for it, but also because I think it's boring. I'm sorry. I just, I think it's boring. Um, but this is a great illustration for what I'm talking about. So think about a fish, okay? When you cast, what's it called? The reel, the pole, the thing, the line, thank you. It's not a rope, Gurner. Uh, the fish isn't going to bite your hook if it just looks like a hook. 
So you've got to disguise it, right? You've got to use some sort of bait, whether it's a lure or a worm, or I know this is going to sound crazy, but a piece of cheese. One time I caught a giant catfish using just a, a cheese ball at the grandparents' house. But you use something that's desirable for the fish. Something that you know that it wants in order to hide the thing that's harmful and undesirable, which would be the hook and the consequences that are going to come with if the fish bites the hook. And so because the fish gets so excited about the bait and builds up an appetite for whatever it is, the consequences of him biting the hook are hidden. So he doesn't think about them. And then he takes a bite only to find a hook in his mouth. There are a lot of things that our flesh uses as bait to try to get us to bite down on its hook. Just for example, I'm going to make you guys uncomfortable. We're going to talk about premarital sex. So you've been dating your girlfriend or boyfriend for a while now. Um, you know, you're making out all the time, so you start being more physical because you get kind of bored. So then you're in this phase where you're like doing everything but sex, but that's not really fulfilling your, these sexual desires either. So naturally, the next step is to have sex. And in your mind, you're like, well, it's not 1950 anymore. Everybody's doing it. It's actually weird if you're not doing it. And as long as it's consensual, it's all good, right? I mean, that, that's the natural progression of relationships. And so your mind decides that it's good. Your mind says, you know what? This is the next best thing for us. We're going to have sex. So then naturally, your affections start craving it. And you can't stop thinking about it. Then your will gives you the green light because your mind and affections are on board. And so the next thing you know, you're finding a time when neither parents are home and you know you finally, you finally do it. But there's a hook. What's undesirable and harmful. It's not what you thought it would be. What you thought was going to draw you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend closer together actually became a wedge dri driving you apart. You find yourself being insecure about your body. Not to mention we don't think about the consequences. I think you know what the consequences are. How about... How about this one? I don't think we think about this one. How about the fact that you're going to have to tell your future spouse that, hey, sorry, but my first time was with someone else in high school. How about this one? How about social media? It's a hot topic these days. Having an Instagram, having a Snapchat, it's pretty desirable. You want to be included. You want to be liked. You want to be in the know. But what's disguised is the harmful and undesirable effects and consequences 
of social media? How about having anxiety or depression? How about hating yourself? Because, girls, someone took a picture that you posted and shared it with everyone at school, and they're all calling you a slut. Or guys, they take your picture and they share it around and all these girls are talking about how ugly you are and how, how feminine you are, how unmasculine you are. How about angry? How about anger? Just being angry at a post. Being, being angry at a comment that somebody says about you or about someone that you like. What about jealousy? How about seeing that you weren't invited to something that all your friends were invited to? You know, so-and-so had people over and you didn't make the cut. We don't consider these consequences. So we get on social media because it's disguised as being something good. Realizing later it was in fact harmful. Guys, this is the beginning of the scouting report. Deception. How? By hiding and disguising the truth. Now let me say this. Don't leave here and tell your parents that I told you that you couldn't have social media. I didn't say that. But I know that these are real things that happen as a result of it. And I would even beg to say that a majority of you have dealt with some of these things before. But nobody talks about that. It's desirable. You feel left out. And so knowing that this is how the flesh deceives us, it helps us in order to arm ourselves against it. We know a tendency. We know what it's going to do. So it helps us to arm ourselves. Um, how do we do that? Well, if deception works by hiding or disguising the truth, then it would probably be good if we determine what is truth. So before you're going to do something, ask yourself, is this pleasing to God? You would be amazed at the things that you will do and not do based on that question. Is this pleasing to God? Is this in accordance with his word? Is this the truth? It goes back to the process because if it's the truth and your mind determines that the truth is right, then your affections and your will will follow and you will obey God. Guys, if, you, <clears throat> if you're a Christian tonight, by God's grace alone, you will never experience the end of what verse 15 says, which is eternal death. Sometimes you will, as James says, give birth to sin. You will act on the sin that your mind and your affections and your will all consent to. And you know what? 
You'll have to deal with some devastating consequences. But your sin is forgiven. Parker mentioned it during music. Dr. Young said that you can have peace in Christ. Because Jesus is the source of victory over sin and temptation. Listen to what Romans 5.19 says. For as by one man's disobedience, that man being Adam, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Have you been made righteous through Christ? Or are you still enslaved by your sin? Because James gives a cycle. Your mind is lured. Your affections are enticed. Your will conceives it. You do it. And eventually... It ends with eternal death. And so you don't have to go home that way tonight if you are not trusting in Christ. And I beg that you will talk to someone if you find yourself in that position. Let's pray. Father, um, again, what a just difficult thing to talk about the wickedness of sin, the goal that it has for us to just be eternally separated from you. And Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that in Christ that will never happen. We thank you that though we will make decisions and and, and things that we regret, we thank you that those things can be forgiven and that our guilt and our shame can be taken away and that we can have peace. Father, I pray that you would continue in this series to just help us, Father, to know our sin, but to always be pointed to the cross. Would you do that? For the kingdom's sake, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.